Uh, We have been talking about faith foundations. We've been looking at this picture of godly devotion. That's, That's what Paul has been writing to Timothy about because Timothy is going to instruct these things uh, ultimately to the church where he's at and to Christians uh, everywhere he goes. Uh, If you've grown up in the pews, you've probably seen lessons, plenty of lessons on uh, 1 Timothy 3. Uh, And I'm going to approach it perhaps a little bit differently, whereas I think there can be the tendency to read the 14 qualifications, get really granular into each one of those things as if they're kind of a checklist and, you know, you just kind of do check, 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 check and get your definitions in and there you go and you're on your merry way. And rather than that, I would I think it is important for us to see the picture that the Apostle Paul is painting of the kinds of people who are supposed to be the godly leaders and the godly servants for the people of God. Uh, I, I think that's a, a really important visual that that Paul is giving. And I think, unfortunately, we can have the tendency to sometimes appoint people who are unqualified because we are missing that picture. We kind of just can boil it down into some really oversimplified basics rather than really getting a whole picture of here is the kind of person, here is the kind of character that this individual ought to have if he's going to serve the church either in a leadership capacity or in terms of a servant uh, capacity. The first verse of, of, of chapter 3, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, uh, he desires a, a noble task. Uh, the Using the word overseer already helps us significantly in trying to understand the role of what this person is supposed to do, that this person is watching out spiritually for the people of God, watching out over the flock. I I put on the screen there uh, Acts 20, verses 17 through 28, and the reason why is because it's in that passage that we see these terms used interchangeably, and I think that's important. That a shepherd, an elder, or pastor, or bishop, or overseer, all these different translations, they're all pointing to the same person. There's not a hierarchy, there's not a difference of levels, or anything like that. But in Acts 20, when Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders, he uses all of these different terms in the very same paragraph. And so that helps us then when we look at this, that we are seeing that a picture of here is the qualities required to be the kind of overseer that God is looking for in regards to his people. And the first thing that it says is being uh, above reproach. I think in, in stating that it is important to say that that doesn't mean being above approach, which is sometimes how that's taken is. Well, I'm the overseer, and so I am high and lofty and lifted up and, and very important, and you can't ask me anything or, or anything like that. Don't come to me because I'm one of the overseers. And um, unfortunately, I've seen that happen. And it's important to observe that's not what this is talking about. It's not putting you, yourself into this different category and saying, okay, you are all the laity, and I'm over here somewhere really special but rather just talking about the kind of character 
this person is going to have. You are going to see a high level of spiritual qualifications. And that's, I think, sometimes one of the biggest things that we miss, as obvious as it sounds. Because sometimes what we can do is we can have the tendency to use uh, worldly metrics to try to define who should be an overseer of God's people. And sometimes we'll be like, well, they have a really successful career. You know, they're very important in the career path that they are. Or they have a very successful life or they make a lot of money. And there's a lot of things that sometimes we can use and be tempted by to look at in their life and say, well, because of certain physical successes by the world's definition, they therefore would be good spiritual leaders. And as you think about the qualities that were just read for us, it never says that. You know, it never says that they're really good on the job and they're really, you know, great career people. and They've really moved up the chain and things like that. And there's no concern about a worldly perspective of success or of achievement or power or reputation of that kind in the way that the world would think about it. It's a different quality set that's given. One of the things that I'm going to do is not go line by line and word by word through all of these things. I took a number of translations and just to put all of the different words kind of on the screen uh, as we go, just so that you can get a sense and an idea of the kind of character that this person uh, is is supposed to have. Uh, Initially, you have in in, in, uh, verse 2, the husband of one wife. Here is a married man. So being an overseer that is only for married men who have been faithful to their marriage vows. It speaks very much to avoiding inappropriate relationships with the opposite gender, that this is somebody who is above reproach. And so they show that in their married life, being faithful to their spouse. And that faithfulness and that trustworthiness, that above reproach and that spirituality, you'll notice, really carries itself through the rest of the qualities and qualifications that that are ultimately listed in here. Like in verse 2, you're describing somebody who is ultimately level-headed, self-controlled, they're sensible, they're free from excess, they're free from passion and rashness. These are the kinds of ideas of what are behind the words that are found there in verse 2, being sober-minded and self-controlled, is that you have somebody who's even-keeled, somebody who's level-headed, somebody who is sensible, free from swinging the pendulum and being in excess of one way or another. They're orderly, they're well-mannered. I love when it speaks of being hospitable. That speaks of having a love for people, particularly strangers. And sometimes I think... (laughs) Uh, there's a, a book that speaks of, speaks of this. One of the most obvious qualities for a shepherd is you have to love sheep if you're going to be a shepherd, right? Uh, that, that's just kind of the big E on the I chart about being a shepherd is, well, you must love sheep if you want to be a shepherd. And that's the idea, even in the idea of the hospitable, is there's such a love for people. You care about them. You care about their souls. 
You want to be engaged with them and you want to be in their life. You also see able to teach, a spiritual teacher. So again, you're painting this picture of who this is, of this kind of self-control, even-keeled, level-headed, orderly, well-mannered, loving of people, loving even of strangers, loving of souls, a spiritual teacher, not drunk, verse 3, has sober judgment. He's not violent. He's not a bully. He's not a fighter. He doesn't like to engage in verbal warfare or get agitated and want to be fiery, but is gentle. These are the kind of pictures, again, that are being displayed in this person. Money, verse 3, money is not important. Not a life goal. Not a concern. Life doesn't revolve around that. That picture of a lover of money. It's just not their concern. It's not what they live for. It's not the way they make their decisions. And the leadership is observed in how they manage their household. That's what verses 4 and 5 describe, is that you are able to look at the individual And the way that they manage their house shows a lot about their spirituality. And they were able to manage it with dignity. The children are not out of control, but listen to the father. And how he manages the home is not out of control, but it is honorable. And I think those are two important characteristics to think about. The way the home is managed, you see a family where all is in control, dignity and honor. And the way that he manages the home also shows that honor and dignity. And I think you might even note that the way the translations are. In verse 4 when it says, He much managed his own household well with all dignity. That can refer to the children and can also refer to him. And I think there's a lot to be said for the dignity and honor of how he handles the children. If you think about having your kids there, it says in verse 4, keeping your kids with all submission. There's a way to do that that's not honorable and without and not with dignity. There's a way to do that that's not godly. You can keep your kids under submission and that's not a godly way to do it. So it's important to see the picture that's being painted about this kind of individual who is gentle, not argumentative, self-controlled, level-headed, even-keeled, manages the household well, children are under control, has honorable way that he's handled his home and handled his children, handled his family. He goes on in verse 6, he's spiritually experienced and he's well thought of by outsiders. He's somebody that you wouldn't say, world wouldn't say, He goes to church. He's a Christian. What? But there is a picture of the kind of character that he lives is not only seen on Sunday. Isn't it interesting to say, well thought of by outsiders. It's clearly lived every day. It's not a facade for a few hours, but the characteristics that are being listed are seen at all hours of all days so that not only those on the inside, but those also on the outside, the outsiders would be able to say that this person is not a hypocrite, but lives their life of faith every single day. So I want you just kind of get in a sense of the kind of spiritual picture that is given here with this individual. And I want to make some considerations and some observations. I think it is interesting that Paul doesn't go about talking about, now here's all the power and the authority that you wield over your flock. And I think that's important. That you don't have this long discussion of, Okay, now you who are the overseers, 
Alright, here are all the things you're going to tell everybody to do. Here's your authority. Here is your power. Here is the marching orders that are given. What you see always is really just simply a picture of shepherding. Listen to how the Apostle Peter described this. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Notice the phrasing, exercising oversight. So here's this image. That's why overseer is the word used in 1 Timothy 3. What is the role of the shepherd? What is the overseer doing? But watching out for the flock, watching out in care, watching what they're doing, caring about their spiritual lives, caring about their souls. And in doing so, not under compulsion. So... It's not that they have to. It's that they want to. They do this willingly. Not out of requirement. But because they love sheep. Because they love the flock. They love the people that they watch out for. Not for shameful gain. I'm not sure I've ever seen in my lifetime... Uh, 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 overseers who are actually been paid. But the scriptures show overseers are to be paid for the work that they're supposed to do. And that's why that qualification is put in there. They become overseers not for the pay, which we have no worries about that. Nobody's getting paid around here for that. <laughs> but it's important to see that. It's not for what you get. It's for what you're able to give. Eagerly. You want to serve. You want to lead. You want to watch out for the flock. You want to help spiritual people in spiritual ways. And there's a desire to do that. The end of this, I think, is very important. Not domineering over those in your charge. Some translations say, not lording it over the flock. That means it's not about power going around telling everybody what to do. But being an example to the flock. That's what you're doing. What you are seeing is a picture that overseers and shepherds lead not by telling people what to do, but through their spiritual teaching and through their spiritual example. Now that should make a lot of sense for us because Peter then goes on to say, and when the chief shepherd appears, speaking of Christ... Think about Christ for a minute. How did he lead? He go around telling everybody what to do? Think about he did it the exact same way. Spiritual teachings, spiritual example. He led a life that was to be exemplified and he taught people about God and how they were to live. And that's what's being said by Peter. His shepherds are following that. You have your chief shepherd. Here's how he did it. And likewise, we do the same. And as we went through those characteristics and you see this self-control, level-headed, respectable, free from excess, gentle, all of those kinds of pictures, the kind of qualifications that are being described here would point to an individual who would never say, 
I'm in charge, do what I say. These qualifications would avoid that. They're not looking at it that way. They see themselves in a humble role. They are self-controlled. They're not in it for authority or power. And that's what even Peter is describing here. They're doing this willingly. They're not doing it out of obligation or for what they get, but what they're able to give back to the flock. I think that's such an important aspect because we live in a time right now because our culture is very corporate. That it's easy to want to turn the church into a corporate reality. And so we elevate certain men to become basically the board over the church. They're the CEOs. They're in charge. They're the presidents and whatever of the, of the corporation. And they all tell us what to do. And when we just go around doing it. And that's not the biblical picture. That's not the picture that's given to us in regards to what a local group of people are supposed to do. Instead, the picture is these are individuals who have such a spiritual characteristic about them that we are able to say they will lead us by example and lead us through their teachings. That's what God wanted. Not a corporate mentality, but truly a shepherd mentality. A shepherd who, like Christ, leads the way, points the direction, teaches the sheep in the way they ought to go. It's really a beautiful picture. And I think it's unfortunate that we can take American corporate mentality and overlay that upon a congregation and make it something it's not supposed to be. We'll come back to this picture in in a few minutes, but let's move to the second section where in verse 8 it says, likewise deacons. Deacons is a terribly unhelpful word. Because we don't use that word. (laughs) We don't use that word at all. Where overseers is helpful, it expresses what the role is. They're overseeing the flock. Deacons is a transliteration of the word. It really is just a servant, as all that word means. One who is serving the group. I want you to listen to the qualifications that are given here in verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified... Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. The deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I want you to listen to all those qualifications. And one of the things that I think that you can see in describing those things is you are seeing somebody who is trustworthy to carry out the service of the congregation that nobody would be worried about them. I think a probably really good example of that is Acts 6, though Acts 6 does not formally call the men who were chosen there serving on tables as deacons. It seems to me I don't know what else to call them. 
And they are chosen as trustworthy people to care for a particular task that had come up with the Jerusalem church. These qualities exist so that you can look at them and see their faithful spiritual character and say, I trust them in whatever serving role that they are going to be carrying out. And I thought something interesting, and see if you see the same thing. Do you notice how similar those qualifications are? Yes, there's some different wording, but I believe that you could do a one-for-one correlation between the characteristics that are described of the overseer also to those who are called deacons, except for one quality. When you go through there, they're supposed to be tested, not spiritual novices. They're described as as being blameless also. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. They're dignified. They're not double-tongued. You're seeing the same pictures of level-headedness and self-control and faithful in their pursuit of God and how they've lived their lives. In fact, verse 12, being the husband of one wife, that same faithfulness in the marriage. Verse 12, managing their children, their household well. Same picture of how they run the family in an honorable way with children who are also acting honorably. I think only one quality that I could really point to and say this is a difference from the overseer role. Teaching. It's the only one that's really not said. All the other ones I can connect up and go, that's awfully similar or exactly the same. But teaching is a difference. And I think that helps us understand these roles. With an overseer, the role they lead through their example and through their teaching. Teaching is not going to be the role of why deacons, these servants, are appointed. But we need these characteristics because we want to entrust them to carry out certain tasks and acts of service. I'll speak to my own observations of how I saw things growing up and then studying things for yourself. At least how I grew up, I always observed that the majority of the deacons who were appointed in the congregation were the ones who were in charge of making sure the building was locked or unlocked or making sure the light bulbs were changed or making sure like the plants looked okay and things like that. Would you need all of these qualifications for somebody to make sure that the door was unlocked and all the light bulbs were working and everybody had a key or whatever it is like that? You don't need it for that. It can't be describing situations of what everybody can do. You know, okay, I'll be here first. I'll unlock the door. Uh, you know, I don't fall off ladders, which is not true of me. But I don't fall off ladders, so I'll change the light bulb. You don't want to watch me change a light bulb. It's Well, you should watch me change a light bulb. It's funny. I'll just fall off the ladder and I do it. No equilibrium whatsoever. There's something far bigger. That they are being entrusted to carry out tasks 
to serve the congregation in such a capacity that the overseers could even give it to these servants and say, you carry out these important spiritual tasks. And we know that they will be done properly, rightly, above board, spiritually, because you have these spiritual characteristics. That is the kind of thing that would be handed over to them. The kinds of things that we could entrust them to take care of and be concerned about. I think too often, at least, again, I'm using anecdotal, my observations, that I think a lot of the times you see overseers or preachers doing a lot of the works because we don't really know what to give the deacons to do. So within, we just give them the, the light bulbs and the door locking and things like that. When I think there's an important picture of while the overseers are concerned of watching out for the flock, let the deacons, let the servants be doing the important tasks of carrying out the servant roles that need to be done. What can be done for the flock? What can be done in the help that they need? That that can be given to them to carry out those kinds of tasks. That seems to be much more of the relationship that exists here that I think that Paul is is trying to describe. Being dignified and well-respected and sincere and having integrity and not greedy and not devoted to alcohol and not being spiritually inexperienced, being level-headed, faithful to their wives, managing their household well, holding on to the truths of God's Word, all indicate that they are able to handle serious spiritual tasks for the flock. Why have all of those qualifications if not? Except that as a church we could say, you handle these roles. And I think that's why Act 6 is a useful picture. There are widows who are being neglected. We will appoint men as these deacon servant roles to be able to make sure that that is happening the way God would want it to be done. And we can trust them to do it honorably and fairly without any cheating or anything underhanded because they possess these tested, faithful, spiritual qualifications. All right. Now let me step in at verse 11. Verse 11, I think, is really an interesting verse. This is a verse that has so much ink spilled over what to do with this. And it is a difficulty in trying to understand what to do with this. You'll notice your translations are split in regards to what to do with this. Should this read wives? Should this read women? The Greek does not help us because in Greek, wives and women are the exact same word. And only context can tell you if you are talking about a man or husband or woman or wife. They're same word for wife, woman, same word for husband or man. So you have to have context to tell you what are you talking about when it comes to that. And that is the case here in trying to understand what exactly is this talking about. And what I'm going to show you there are problems with both readings. <laughs> so don't jump ahead of me on this. There are problems with both ways of looking at this. There, the, with the translation is wives, there's a number of problems with this. Number one, Even though the ESV reads their wives, there is no there, there in the text. It just says wives or women. 
So there's not a there. And the argument is, if it was speaking about wives, that word there should be there. If we're talking about the deacon's wives, and it should say, their wives must be these things. But that's not there. It leads to the idea that we're not talking about wives, we're talking about women. Second, why would the deacon's wives need to have qualifications when elders' wives do not? That's always been a problem here is when we spoke about the overseers, it simply stayed upon the overseer. It never said, and their wives must also be. And here with all of the deacons, why would it be talking about what the deacons' wives need to be if the deacon qualification is what in view is in view? Also, you will notice in verse 11, the word likewise. That's a really big key right there. Because you'll notice back in verse 8, it did the same thing. When it shifted to a new category, it said, likewise, deacons must be in verse 8. And then in verse 11, it says, likewise, wives, women must be. It designates a new category when you start with the likewise. So those are all the reasons everybody comes along and blows up. It can't say wives. It must be referring to women. Except this one problem, verse 12. (laughs) Verse 12 says deacons must be what? Husbands of one wife. All right, so that kind of blows the, it's referring to women deacons out of the water. So here's what you do when you come across things like this. Is there a way to reconcile this text? And I hope you'd use this as a way you study the scriptures for yourself. Is there a way to harmonize this? Or do you have to accept one without the other and say, yeah, I know there's all these problems with it, but that's my answer. So it's talking about wives, even though there's all these issues. Or it's talking about women deacons, even though it's got the very next issue of the very next sentence saying, deacons have to be a one woman man. So that doesn't work. Is there a way to reconcile these things? I think there is. I think there is. Here's my reconciliation of this. I think the picture then is given here for women who serve, but not an official or a formal capacity of of a church. You'll notice it's couched right in the midst of discussing, again, if we took out the word deacon and read servants. Here are all the qualifications of what the servants must be. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. Verse 11, likewise women must be these things. Verse 12, the servants must be the husband of one wife. The deacons must be the husband of one wife, managing their children, their own household well. It seems to me that what this is trying to show us is that when a woman is selected to serve any particular good work, she also needs to have spiritual qualifications. It's not putting her in the category of, okay, she's a deacon, formal role. No, because verse 12 removes that. But women are supposed to be serving. And there are tasks that women are supposed to do for the body and for the work of the Lord. And I think it wouldn't be too hard to think of situations and arenas where there can be good works and works that need to be done that may be more appropriate for women to carry out than men. And I think that would be something for our consideration. 
I could come up with a lot of scenarios. I jotted a few of them down. I don't know if it's worth our time to consider all of those. But, I mean, one would be certain, you know, it would be more appropriate for a woman to go to a single woman's home to check in on her and carry out whatever task that needed to be done versus a young man or an older man. There are things that we can certainly come up with where there would be wisdom for the roles of women to be played out and to be done in a serving role. I think it helps us because it doesn't violate chapter 3, verse 12. Not a formal office. Doesn't violate chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 that we spent our time in. Servants don't have authority. They're carrying out the task on behalf of the congregation. Romans chapter 16 has been a conundrum for a lot of people, and I think this answers that her well. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Here is Paul, end of his letter to the Romans. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Some translations will read this, a deacon of the church at Sancria. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may have need, need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. I think this fits really well what Paul is talking about. Here is Paul talking about a Christian woman. She's been a servant at the church in Sincrea. Doesn't say what she's been doing. She just serves them. Serves them well. Perhaps she's like... Dorcas that we see in the book of Acts where she's doing good works for the people there. And now she's coming to the church in Rome. And Paul is telling the church in Rome, she's going to do a number of good things for you there. And so help her in whatever need she may have of you because she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. She's basically been serving other Christians. Paul says she's served and helped me. And now she's going to be at the church in Rome She's going to be serving and helping you too. To me, this arena makes a lot of sense that I'm giving to you. Is is she serving in some kind of official deacon capacity? I don't think so because of verse 12 says that that's not her role. But clearly she's serving. Clearly she is doing a work that has been important to the church in Sincrea and will be important for the church in Rome. I think what we see, unfortunately in our day and time has been, I think, probably two extremes. Extreme number one that you may have been exposed to or maybe a congregation you've grown up with or or seen in other places, the extreme number one is women just don't have any role or work in the church. They, They don't do anything. Only the men can do any kind of work, any kind of role, any kind of serving. That that's It's not left for a woman to do anything. I think that's one extreme, you see, that exists. In combating that extreme, I think you see the other extreme that happened, which is they're appointed as overseers or they're appointed in a teaching authority as as a preacher, violating the very scriptures we've just been going over these past two Sundays. Is there a middle ground? I think so. I think women can serve the church and those who do so need to be faithful and trustworthy in their character. Ones that we say, you take care of this particular task. They need to be faithful. They need to be trustworthy. They need to be spiritual in such a way that we can be assured that they're doing that. As I was thinking about this, I thought, we have a legacy at this congregation 
that is immense and great when it comes to faithful women who have served this church. I've been here 20 years now, and I've been able to watch so many women who not of even official deacon capacity have served the church in an amazing way. People like Harriet Butts, Jean Fielding, Jean Schmidt, Helen Russell, June Salibi, were all women of this church who served and served and served. And a lot of people didn't know it. And they were doing good works everywhere. And they were serving this church. And they could be depended upon by this church to do all kinds of faithful tasks. We have an amazing legacy of that here. And I think that's the picture that's being described here in 1 Timothy 3. Is the women who would have that kind of role. Who would be able to do good works because they are faithful to God. And want to serve God in that kind of capacity. In conclusion, I want to pull back and get to the big idea of why I think this is really important. We need spiritual leaders and spiritual servants. And the reason why this is so important is because we live in a time that is very consumer driven. The church is portrayed like a McDonald's is how I've joked with you about it in a sense. You just come and get what you want. So you want teaching, you come for that. You want the Lord's Supper, you want singing, you just come and you get what you want out of it. And it's easy to fall into that consumer kind of thinking is what I'm going to do is come and receive what I need. And I just want to ask this question. If everybody here in the room comes here and just gets what they want, who's going to be the one to give? If all hundred of us, every time we show up, we're looking around and we're just going to be like, all right, we're all consumers. Somebody, you know, give me my teaching. Somebody give me my song. Somebody give me my Lord. Give me. Then who's going to get anything? Somebody has to be a spiritual leader and a spiritual servant. We can't be consumers. These are roles that I think Paul is describing here that he wanted that church to grow into. In fact, in just a couple of verses, he's going to say that this is the how you would behave as the church of the living God, that these characteristics would exist, that there will be spiritual leaders and there will be spiritual servants that will exist. And we need more spiritual leaders and more spiritual servants in the kingdom of God in general. As our world continues to be about what I take from worship, what I get from it, rather than giving to it, there's not going to be anything left. We must develop people and people must be willing to rise up to the task of being spiritual leaders, to be overseers. We need far more men. Willing to rise up and say, I'm going to live a faithful life so that I can be somebody who will lead the flock willingly, not out of compulsion, not out of shameful gain, not out of I want to be in charge and have the power, but because you love sheep. You care about souls. 
Because you love people too much. That you can't just sit back and be a consumer. We need far more men who want to achieve that role and want to be those kinds of people. We need far more men and women in the kingdom who want to serve in the capacities that are being described here that can be trustworthy in their character. That the church can say, we can hand this off to you. We know that you will run that well. We know that you'll take care of that situation, that you'll help those people, that you'll deal with whatever these issues are, that you'll be faithful in that and trustworthy in that. So there will be no concern whatsoever. And that means preparing those things now. The only way to get to these outcomes is preparing that way now. And it's not what I want you to do is to go, okay, look at those 14 qualifications. Let me try really hard to do better at those 14 things. That misses the whole point. The whole point is that you just love God so much, you grow in your faith, and you grow in your faith so much that you do what God says in regards to every aspect of your life because you live faithfully and people now trust you because of your faithful life. You're already doing the things that are being described here where you're living your life in a level-headed way and being sensible and running your household well and being faithful to your spouse. You're doing all of those things because that's what God wants you to be and you grow and you grow and you grow even more into those arenas. You know what that also means? It means that we're a people that as we come together, that we're not about trying to do the minimum or trying to get out of the opportunities that are presented to us to serve. It's not, well, oh man, I got to do something. It's rising up, filling the gap, taking the opportunity and saying, I can do that. I can do that task. I can do that. There's a need over here. I can do that. Yeah, I don't have to look around and go, well, somebody else do it first. You know, the old volunteer, you know, everybody take one step back. <laughs> Whoever's left standing there, okay, they're going to be the ones. You, you didn't move. You know, or, or, we want to be the ones who are quickly raising our hands and saying, we want to be the volunteers. We want to be the ones who will do this, not out of a minimum or not trying to get out of it. But we want to do that. If we are not preparing ourselves now to be these kinds of spiritual servants and these kinds of spiritual leaders, then there will not be anyone to offer spiritual help to people in the future. There's not going to be anybody there. And there's going to be all these people in the world who are lost. And who's going to be the spiritual servants? And who's going to be the spiritual leaders? And there's going to be problems that happen in the flock and needs that happen in the flock. And who are going to be the ones to fill those spiritual needs and fill those spiritual voids? Who are going to be the ones to do it? I did a series a few years ago. I'll bring the title back right now as we conclude. You don't go to church. You are the church. 
This isn't about what you come and get. You are the church. You are the people of God. You are the servants and you are the leaders. You are the workers. And we look around and we see what needs to be done. We do it. We serve and we give because Christ served and gave for us. That's the faith foundation that Paul is establishing here. The kinds of people who live their lives of faith so that they can help the people of God in the days ahead. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we live in a time that's it's so easy to just become consumed with ourselves. It's easy for us to look at our gathering and our relationship that we have with you as the people of God as if it were a hobby or an extracurricular or something we just come and get something out of. And God, we pray that we would have the courage and the strength to grow into becoming the leaders and the servants that you want us to be. Lord, we know that we all have different capabilities and talents, but that there is something for all of us to do. And Lord, we help, want you to help us see it. Lord, help us see the opportunities that lie before us. Help us to see the areas where we can help. Help us to be able to look with our eyes open of how we can give more to this kingdom that you have for us. How we can be more of your servants. How we can be more faithful to what you've called us to be so that we can shine as lights in the world around us. Lord, we pray that we could reflect your glory better to the world. Pray that we could reflect it better to each other. We pray that you would give us a spiritual growth that we need so that we can rise into these roles that will be necessary in the future. That we can be the ones to reach out to those who need help and be the spiritual teachers and be the spiritual examples that our world needs and that we need of each other. God, forgive us for our failures. Forgive us for how we've fallen short of that. God, thank you for the faithful leaders and servants of the past that we have observed at this congregation. Thank you for their faithful lives. Thank you for how they've brought us to this place where we're at now, that we know that we stand upon their shoulders of the good works that they've done in their faithful lives of service to you. And God, we pray that we could be the next wave of that, that we could be a foundation for the future generations, continuing a legacy of loving you, being faithful to you, serving for you, sacrificing ourselves for you, and being a light in the world around us for you. Lord, help us to this cause. Lord, be with this congregation. Give us the strength that we need. And give us the leadership we need and the servants we need so that we can be the people of God that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.